Good evening there, sloggy kiddos. It is October 16th. It's a Monday, 2023. And I'm going to be reading John chapter 13. And we're going to be uh, starting in on chapter 5 of Kingdom's Edge by Chuck Black. So I took last night off, recorded a double podcast for you guys. I think y'all are running a bit behind anyways which is fine, but I'm going to keep on my one podcast a night pace, so we will have read the whole book of John by the time I leave here. So, let's get started here. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. There's that I am again, you guys. For so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, 
but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That's the scripture. Let me see where that's quoted from. Oh, in the Greek, that's not a scripture. But in order that the scripture may be fulfilled. Okay, sorry. Back to verse 18. But the scripture will be fulfilled. Quote, he who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. There's that I am again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped, it, dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself, will glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Quote, where I am going, you cannot come. Unquote. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, 
but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Okay, and that's the end of John chapter 13. Now, where were we in Kingdom's Edge? We finished chapter 4. Um, let's see here. Um, William and Cedric meet. Well, they get in. They get in way over their head when they go try and help this shop owner who was being threatened and almost killed. They ran into a shadow warrior. And what did they do? Well, they were brave and they they challenged him. And this thing turns around and it's like, looks like a monster of a man. And I think our shadow war warriors are really equivalent to like Satan's uh, Satan's angels, the, de the demons. So this thing is like superhuman, crazy warrior, seven feet tall and huge. But how did they defend themselves and defend the shopkeeper? Does anybody remember what the shopkeeper's name was? Is His name's Barrett. They teamed up on him. And they used a strategy that their master had taught them. And they kind of divided the um, shadow warrior's defenses and like held them off. And it was actually getting kind of bad. But then who came in? Oh, it was the prince, of course. And what happened to the shadow warrior when he just saw the prince it was like he turned to butter right he just got so scared and he asked to be if he could go away and the king told him to get and then poor barrett gave him a drink of water and got him back and he gave him a story about how he had agreed to buy something from this shadow warrior at one point. What an interesting story. What do you think that was all about? He first started, I'm sorry, the shadow warrior first started selling him stuff. Right? Is that how it went? Let me see here. This is very intriguing. Hmm... He tells the story. A few months ago, this same man entered my shop and offered to buy my geese and, and fish at a price higher than I could get from anyone in the city. Hmm. Do you know what that's called, you guys? It's called a trade. Anytime we buy something, 
were engaged in a trade. And uh, sometimes we pay a lot of money for something that's very valuable. Sometimes we pay a lot of money for something that, oh, maybe it wasn't so valuable. Sometimes we pay a little bit of money for something that's very valuable. That's probably the, the best way we like to do things. But usually, um, have you guys, you guys have heard the saying, you get what you pay for. So, this is a very interesting story here where uh, Chuck Black is painting the picture of how dealing or doing trade with anything wicked or evil starts off really great in your favor. You know, if you, if you deal, if you decide to sin and make agreements with sin or people who are uh, engaged in sinful behavior, it seems like you're just getting a really good deal. Like, oh man, this is so fun. And yeah, I'm going to do this. This is great. And well, you know, I can get away with it. And But it's still worth it. Have you guys ever had this internal dialogue in your head when you make the wrong choice? It is so worth it to make this choice. I'm going to trade my time and my loyalty and my attention and my words and but it's so worth it to do this with that person or treat this person that way in fact pretty much everything in our life can be viewed as a trade we're always trading our time and our energy for whatever activity we're doing at the moment you don't even have to have any money involved when you choose to sit down and practice piano for a half of an hour, you are spending your time and your mental attention and your mental energy. But what are you getting in return? What are you trading in return? Well, you're trading for the enjoyment of listening to yourself play and practice the piano. You're trading for more skill and ability and um, the ability to play very beautiful songs. Each time you invest or exchange your time for good focused practice, you become a better piano player. So that's a good trade, right? Okay, well back to Barrett's trade here. Let's see how his continued trade kind of goes sour. His only demand that I tell no one about him or our exchange. Oop, big red flag, you guys. Anything that's done in secret probably has sin involved. Okay. He seemed fair enough, so I took his offer. A few days later, he returned with nearly the same offer, so I agreed. This continued for some time, but each time his price got lower and his demeanor became more fierce. Before long, he demanded the food at a fraction of the market price and threatened me and my family if I didn't agree. Oh, man. I bet you Barrett was uh, really regretting that he established a relationship with this guy and also agreed not to tell anybody about it. Ooh, dark deeds done in the dark. Barrett paused and took another sip of water. 
He took a deep breath and continued. Eventually, I was giving him the food, and he was also demanding money. I told the noble knights, but they seemed too afraid to even confront him. I do believe he would have killed me tonight had these gentlemen not intervened. Thank you for your bravery, kind sirs. Please take this money in payment for your services. The shop owner offered a bag that jingled with the sound of coins. Coins the shadow warrior had apparently hoped to steal. We accept your thanks, but not your payment, Barrett. I said, we cannot receive money for doing what is honorable and just. Barrett turned toward the prince, and fear surfaced once again on his face. My lord, how can I be sure this brute will not return? If he returns, Barrett, you can be sure he will not return alone. He will bring other warriors more fierce and wretched than himself with him, the prince said. Barrett looked desperate. There is only one way you can protect yourself and your family. Follow me and I will train you, equip you, and protect you. I will follow you this very night, my lord, said Barrett with renewed hope in his eyes that only moments ago were full of fear and desperation. It was clear that I still had much to learn from the prince. That said you're talking there. Okay, chapter five, Master of the Sword. We were not experts with the sword by any stretch of the imagination. However, the prince felt we had learned enough of the sword to add armor to our training. One particularly warm afternoon, he chose to teach a few of us how to use the shield. It is your shield that will protect you when your enemies fire their, their flaming arrows at you, the prince said. I will stop the deadly blows of their axes and sword. Oh, I'm sorry. It will stop the deadly blows of their axes and swords. I gave each of you a shield. Take good care of it, for the enemy may strike when you least expect it. Two hours passed. At first, the shield seemed awkward and clumsy in my hand, but soon it was natural to hold and use. I enjoyed the feeling of security it provided. I was so engrossed with my training that I did not even see them coming. Three of the noble knights descended from a hill toward the south of us. Their swords were drawn and they attacked quickly. Although I was surprised, the prince was not. He was always ready. He had already positioned himself for the onslaught with his shining sword in hand. These noble knights were three of the best. I recognized them from the training they conducted free, frequently in the square. My initial reaction was to flee. There were four trainees, and we were no match for the noble knights. Not yet, anyway. Despite my instinct to run, I raised my sword for the fight, as so did my companions. Stand down, gentlemen, the prince said. This is my fight. It was clear that he was right, for the noble knights focused exclusively on him. 
We did not seem to pose a threat to them at all. We watched, but did not sheathe our swords. We had pledged our lives to the king's son, and this could be the day to make good our vows. Cedric, your sword, the prince called. I tossed my sword fifteen feet to the prince. As my sword was mid-flight, the prince turned to his right to engage the first approaching knight. A split second later, the prince snatched the flying sword blindly with his left hand and brought it to bear on the second knight. His timing and reaction were perfect. The knights fought with cautious tenacity, for the prince's skill as a swordman was legendary. They tried to encircle him, but the prince moved quickly toward a hill that rose up out of the flat ground we were training on. The rise was steep enough that a man could not easily climb it or fight from its slope. With a steep terrain at his back, the prince forced the noble knights to engage him head on. The swords flashed through the air with deadly cuts. I studied the face of the master as he fought, but I found no panic or fear at all. His jaw was set and his eyes were focused as though they were weapons themselves. You have committed crimes of treason against the king, one of the knights said. We are here to end your traitorous deeds. If you truly knew the king, you would also know me and why I am here, the prince said. You have become ignorant and foolish in your ways. I am here to reestablish my father's kingdom of honor, truth, and justice, to restore the true meaning of the code in a tray. The three knights formed a semicircle around the prince. His predicament seemed hopeless, but I knew not to underestimate his skill. He had surprised me many times before. He parried with his left sword and attacked with his right. I thought that surely with his concentration split on three noble knights, he would make a mistake and it would soon be over. But the knights found no flaw. To this day, I have never seen a sword fly so swiftly. He met each thrust with absolute precision. The harder the noble knights tried, the quicker his sword flew to meet each stroke. The knights to the prince's right or the knight to the prince's right made the first mistake. I suppose he thought he saw an opening and thrust forth with all his might, fully expecting to feel his sword meet flesh and bone. The prince finished glancing a vertical cut from the center knight and met the knight's thrust from the front, causing the sword to pass behind his back. The knight was now overextended and slightly off balance. The prince struck a blow to his head with the gold handle of his sword, which knocked him to the ground unconscious. The two remaining knights pressed harder, appearing eager to finish the fight. One knight sent a high vertical cut toward the prince at the same time his partner launched a knee-level slice. The prince pulled his left sword off the knight delivering the slice to the knee and met the vertical cut from the front in the crux of a cross formed by his two swords 
as he jumped to escape the knee cut. The low sword passed beneath him, and the prince planted a forceful heel into the chest of the knight on his left. The knight stumbled back and fell. The prince landed and turned on the remaining knight with both swords. Stark fear clouded the noble knight's face. He put forth his sword to defend himself from the impact of two swords, each one commanded by arms more skillful and powerful than his own. In one powerful blow, the prince cross-cut both swords with such force they sheared the knight's sword in two. The noble knight stood dumbfounded and afraid. The knight that had fallen was now on his feet and slowly moving toward the prince and the swordless knight. The prince placed a sword at the neck of the knight he'd just beaten and moved him toward the approaching knight with the edge of his blade. Drop your sword, the prince said. I knew these knights were not used to being humbled, but better judgment prevented the knight from meeting a senseless death. He dropped his sword. Take your unconscious friend and leave, the prince said, and tell Caiaphas that he must do his own dirty work in the future. As they turned to pick up the other knight, one of the knights turned back toward the prince. Are you truly the king's son? He asked. The prince studied his face and said, What does your heart tell you? The noble knight was silent. Then they all turned and left. Chapter 6 is called The Tear. William, Rob, and I walked with the prince through the streets of the poorest quarter of Chessington one morning before our training began. The crisp air and fresh sunrise were overshadowed by the absence of joy. The sounds of playful, giggling children had been replaced by moans of hunger as they rummaged for a scrap of food. The early morning song of motherhood had been exchanged for the wail of a suckling babe with no milk to drink. The poverty of Chessington had grown to encompass thousands of its citizens, and the noble knights did not seem to notice or care. I longed to leave these wretched streets, for I could not bear the pain. But the master lingered in solemn silence. My lord, I said softly, shouldn't we be on our way to begin our training? I'd hoped to move on to the country, away from such despair. As the prince turned toward me, I saw deep sadness in his face. A tear fell from his cheek and was swallowed by the dust at our feet. Your training is here today, Cedric, the prince said. Bring the rest of my knights here as quickly as you can. Yes, my prince, I said. We left at once and found the rest of our brothers at the training site. When we returned, I was once again astonished by what I saw. The prince was sitting on a stump with children all around him, 
listening to a story he was telling. Two were sitting on his lap. Children. Children covered in dirt and filth. Why would the mightiest warrior in the kingdom waste time with children? It seemed like such a contradiction. Power, might, strength, and wisdom matched equally with kindness, compassion, and gentleness, all in one man, the king's son. He finished the story before addressing us. Gentlemen, you will feed these people. We looked at each other stupidly, and I was trying to decide if I'd heard right. How many people, my lord? Rob asked. All of them. Although I had seen many amazing things done by the prince, I don't believe I was alone in thinking that he had crossed the line of rationality. There were thousands of poor people, maybe more. How could we possibly provide for such a mass of hunger? My Lord, William said, I told you I will never forget the poor, and I won't. We will gladly feed them if there is some way, but you are asking the impossible. Today, William, you will begin to fulfill your duty in remembering the poor. You all will, for this is the meaning of the code. Go to the docks. There you will find ships full of provisions sent from my father at my request. Organize yourselves in teams of two and deliver these provisions to each home. Do not miss a single household. It was just as the prince said. All the knights worked day and night until every home had food. It was glorious work. None of the knights complained at the labor, but instead stepped with light feet as each delivery was made. The people wept with gratefulness. We wept with joy. Children jumped with glee at such a grand gift. Here was compassion that acted. I had never seen its equal. Chapter 7 No Escape We had learned much. In nine short months, the prince had raised us from the depths of poverty-torn peasants to the heights of knighthood. The prince spent as much time teaching us how to honor the code and the king as he did on how to handle our swords. As we learn more from him, we learn more about him. There was something divine in his nature. I feared him for his power. I revered him for his skill. I followed him for his wisdom. But I served him for his goodness. How was it possible that one man could touch another man's life and change it so drastically? I was no longer Cedric the peasant. I was Cedric, knight of the prince. This honor did not come because I was able to make a knight of myself, but because the prince chose to make a knight of me. 
Why me? The question would not leave my mind. The sun scorched the countryside, but we pressed on with our training. We broke mid-afternoon to quench our thirst and eat bread. Beneath the shade of a small grove of trees, the prince spoke. Gentlemen, I am pleased with your training. You are all capable warriors now. You must fully understand the meaning of the code and bury it in your hearts. To live by the code is to love and serve the king and to love and serve each other. Without the code, your newfound skills with the sword are meaningless and will eventually destroy you. Remember what I have taught you. You must recruit and teach others. My words will guide you in the future. Sadness fell upon me as I listened to his words. Why did they sink my heart so? Surely this was not the end. My time with you is over. The prince spoke the words I had been dreading, though he had warned us of this day. Shock and fear swept over me, and whispers and murmurs rose in volume around me. Oh, what do you mean, my prince? A fellow knight asked. Your training is complete. I have received word from my father and must return to his kingdom. One day... I will send for all of you, and you will come and feast with me in his kingdom. But for now, your work is here. My Lord, we have so much more to learn from you, another knight said. We cannot possibly be prepared to take on the dark night and his... A thunderous noise came from the north and grew louder with each passing moment. No... It was from the west. No, it surrounded us from all sides. The sound of the pounding of horses' hooves engulfed us. We drew our swords and looked for a place of retreat, but found none. Fear came as quickly as the horses. One hundred noble knights with their mounts soon encircled our position. The countenance of Caiaphas made clear that his intention was war. We were outnumbered nearly four to one, and they were mounted. Today we die, I thought. Be still, came the confident voice of the prince. Today your lies and blasphemies end, Caiaphas said. Your death and the deaths of your petty servants will restore order to this kingdom once and for all. Remember, my knights, the prince said to us, your fight is with the dark knight and his shadow warriors. This is not your time. The prince walked toward Caiaphas without his sword drawn. If this battle were to happen, I knew we would all die. Our fight would be noble but futile. Only the prince had the power and skill to defeat these vicious opponents. At least he would, sur he would survive. I knew this to be true.
Midway in the gulf between Caiaphas and our men, the prince stopped and spoke. Caiaphas, your grievance is with me, not my men. Spare the needless spilling of blood and let my men leave peacefully. I will come to you unarmed as your captive. The prince had the power to live, yet he offered his life for us. Why did he heed our warning? How could a man this wise allow such a thing to happen? I did not know what to feel. Gratitude, anger, humiliation, and fear meshed together, leaving only a feeling of impending defeat. Caiaphas sat smugly on his horse and seemed to enjoy the moment of power and control. He'd won. Revenge for his humiliation at the sword of this impostor obviously tasted sweet, though I knew deep down he was relieved that he did not have to face the prince's sword again. So let it be, Caiaphas said. Make way. Behind us, the circle of noble knights broke open to allow us passage. No one moved. How could we abandon the master we had come to love, trust, and serve? Gentlemen, you must leave, the prince said. Remember the code. Live the code. Continue the code or all that I have done is for naught. Leave in peace. One by one, the knights of the prince turned and walked through the circle of certain death. My own cowardice caused me to turn and leave. Once beyond the break, we ran like frightened, homeless children. I was ashamed. From the crest of a hill, I peered and saw a dreadful scene unfold. The deadly circle of noble knights hesitated in their advance as the prince drew his sword. He looked down at, at its beauty and then to the hills. Caiaphas reached for his sword, but it was not needed. The prince drew back and threw the magnificent sword into the sky. It slowly rotated end over end, and the sun occasionally gleamed off its steel as it arced high above the noble knights and beyond the clearing. It disappeared far into the thick trees and brush of the forested hills. He had chosen a silent surrender. The noble knights collapsed on him, the powerful hands of the prince were empty. Okay, and that's the end of chapter 7, kiddos. Let's stop there for the night. That's a good stopping place. We're 39 minutes in. Yeah, that's good. All right, so do you guys recognize the different parts of the Bible? The different um, parts of the gospel. Let's read a couple questions from the back. What do you say? Let's go.
read. We read three chapters because they were so short. Okay, so we read five, six, and seven. Okay, chapter five questions. At the beginning of this chapter, the prince begins to train his knights with the use of the shield. What does this represent? Find a passage of scripture to support you. You guys know this one. Your shields of faith, which is capable of locking all the fiery darts of the evil one. Kiddos, have you ever thought about that? What fiery darts do you have to use your faith and prayer? You're always using prayer with all of your spiritual armor and weapons. What fiery dart has been thrown at you? Can you think of anything the enemy would have thrown at you? Perhaps an accusation that's definitely not true. What about an accusation, a fiery dart that has a little bit of truth? Or it's kind of a half-truth? That's when it gets really hard. And then you start explaining yourself and making excuses. And, well, I mean, I might have said that. and I, But I really, you know, I was thinking this, but I said that. But, I mean, they know what I meant. And, you know, I didn't lie. I just said something that was, you know, a little different than what I should have said. And Satan is there to throw a fiery dart at you to call you a liar pants. So what do you do? How do you get that fiery dart out of your shield? Or what if that fiery dart hits you? What do you do? You guys know um, confessing. If you confess your sins Jesus is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Like the other day, I got impatient. And instead of reading a piece of paper, I just picked it up and put it on Jimmy's desk in kind of like a, you deal with this. And I put a post-it note on it and said, I don't know who this is. And I didn't. But then later on, I figured out who had left it on my desk. And it took me a while to figure out that I was being impatient and I shouldn't have put that piece of paper on Jimmy's desk. I should have handled it different. So I've got a couple choices because I have an, an accusation. You're grumpy and you're short-tempered, and you didn't handle that situation good enough. I need to confess my sin, and then know that Jesus' blood is always there to, as, as, uh, as my forgiveness, that he already paid for my forgiveness, and I can receive that forgiveness when I confess my sin, and then also be cleansed of all unrighteousness. So it's such a wonderful thing 
to know that Jesus has paid the price already for your sin, and all you have to do is confess it and agree that it is sin, and then repent, do something different. Understand that you have to do something different. That's what repenting is. Okay. Who does Caiaphas represent? (laughs) We know that one, don't we? Like maybe the high priest or isn't it Caiaphas? He's one of the Pharisees. As the three noble knights are leaving, one turns and asks the prince, Are you truly the king's son? Who do you think this knight may have represented? Hmm, you guys remember one of the priests or even one of the high priests who thought Jesus was the real deal and came to him? That was, uh, come on, you guys know the name. I'm forgetting it, so I'm going to look it up. Oops. Nicodemus. How could I forget? Okay. Chapter 6. In this chapter, the prince cries a single tear for the people of Chessington. We see how much the prince loves the people. He also loves children, and he tells them a story as they surround him and sit on his lap. What biblical event does this portray? And let's go to the answer. Chuck writes, When Jesus lays hands and blesses children in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Okay. Chapter 6. The prince is so moved when he sees the people of Chessington starving that he sends his knights to feed them with food sent from his father's kingdom. What biblical event does this portray? Or could it even be more than one? This event has a dual meaning. First, the event directly parallels the feeding of the 5,000 as told in Matthew chapter 14, verses 14 through 21. This event also symbolizes Jesus feeding them spiritually by giving them the truth of salvation. In chapter uh, 4, verse 4 of Matthew. Okay. All right. That's, let's stop there tonight, kiddos. Okay. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that I get to be the daddy of five sloggy kiddos. Now, in addition to their good looks, their charm, their wit, their kindness, and their ability to always keep their rooms tidy and their beds made, Notwithstanding all these qualities and efforts of theirs, Father, I just feel so lucky to be a 
a dad that gets to redo his kids. Lord, I want to bless all of my kids. Lord, I just declare that your will is for them to grow in wisdom and grow in knowledge and grow in understanding of your word, but also in everything, communicating with others, making good, wise decisions, their schoolwork. Lord, please just grow them in favor and in stature in your eyes and and with, with others and their peer groups and anybody else they run into. Lord, please help us all to obey your command. Love each other like you have loved us. Please teach us to love each other, Lord, and to, and to, uh, to do what you do for us and how you love the disciples and how you, you washed their feet uh, that walked through streets littered with who knows what. You guys know what. But Lord, please teach us to love like you. Lord, help the kiddos to get good sleep tonight and uh, help me to get good sleep and help mommy to get good sleep. And please get me home safe and sound after a good productive hitch. I ask all these things in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Love you, kiddos. It's getting late. I will talk to y'all soon. Night-night.